And today's message is, today's message is God is love. God is love. Now listen, I, I, I know, I know right now through this whole series that we've been doing, I know that, that I've been really challenged uh, with the idea that there is no possible way that I can convince anybody of the greatness of God's love. I can't do that. There's just no way I can do that. In fact, I think there's some scriptures that's going to prove that to you. But, but I, I can say to you that um, how much God loves you. I can't even begin to put into words how much God loves you and what God wants to do in and through your life as a result of the love that he has for you and I. Because there's nothing, absolutely nothing that compares to the love of God. And I could say with great confidence that, that uh, his love for you, for me, for mankind is beyond words. It is just beyond words. And the reality for me is I can hardly put into words my love for my bride, my love for Marianne. I, I mean this. I really mean this with all of my heart. I can't, at times, I can't even begin to tell her how much I love her, although I do all the time. I tell her all day, many times a day, how much I love her. And I love her for so many reasons. I love her because she's the love of my life. On this planet, she means everything to me. She is my wife. She is, she is my woman. She is my girl. I mean, she is my wife. And I want you to know how much I really do love her. She's a great, she's a great, great friend of mine. She's a great uh, mother. And as a mother, she's gone through some things that no mother would want to go through, of losing of our son. She's a great, wonderful mother and a great wife, and I love her with all of my heart. And I, I wanna let you know that sometimes, as much as I've just said what I've said to you about her and I, uh, every now and then there comes this wave over me. And it's been like this maybe for the last two months again, the last couple of months of my, our, our life here with everything going on, uh, the fourth is my son's anniversary for his death, uh, September 4th. And so, you know, we, we have waves of things coming over us over these years. And, and my love for my wife has just gone through the roof. And of course, I want her to know how much I do love her because I really do. And I want to say the same for my kids. And the same is for my grandchildren. I think I favor my grandchildren more than I do my kids, but that's okay. That's the way grandma and grandpas are supposed to be. Give me an amen, somebody out there. So, but that's the way it is. So I feel very challenged today to be able to effectively explain to you God's love. God's love. This is the conclusion of the series. We've talked about other things. You can go to the podcast, get some stuff Annie had shared on the, on the extravagant love of God, a great message. And so I just encourage you, if you want more information about the extravagant love of God, then you would just go ahead and get into all of that. But I feel challenged today to be able to effectively explain God's love, how much God really loves you. And that's because, uh, that's because God's love uh, is entirely different than anything that this world would ever offer us. You, you can't experience it. You will never come close to an experience in it until God finally does that with you, that he expresses his love for you. God's love is beyond human logic and understanding. It's a supernatural kind of love. God's love is pure and it's holy. God's love is totally unconditional. There's nothing you could do to make God love you more and there's nothing you could do to make God love you less. His love is totally unconditional. God's love is by choice. It's an act of his will. His love comes from God alone, and it is amazing because God is love. That's the message today. God is love. So the Apostle Paul, understanding that we are going to struggle, we're going to have difficulty, it's not always easy to understand some of the things of God, and maybe one of the most difficult is this thing called love. Because with other things, we can somewhat, somehow or another talk about it in a way that we could understand 
understand. But to talk about the love of God at this dimension is beyond our ability to understand. But Paul knew that, so he says to us in Ephesians chapter three, you can go with me there or it will be projected behind me. Paul says these words, he says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, beginning Ephesians three, beginning of verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. He says, I pray for those of you who are being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how uh, and deep is the love of Christ. Verse 19, and to to know, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Let me stop right there. It surpasses knowledge. I said in the beginning, I'm having a difficult time trying to explain to you about the love of God because we can't. We can't. And Paul says right here, he says right here, and to know that his love that surpasses knowledge, he says, that you may be filled to a measure, to the measure of the fullness of of God. As we conclude this series today, my prayer like the Apostle Paul is, is that somehow, somehow God would reveal his extravagant, over-generous, life-changing love to you. No matter who you are, you may be here for the very first time. You may be someone who doesn't even know if there is a God, but yet you came to check out the church for whatever reason. Maybe you were going to be invited out to eat something afterwards. You got tricked and you came anyhow. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we're just so glad that you're here. And I want God to do something that God would reveal his extravagant, over generous, life-changing love that he has for you and me, for the believer and yes, for the unbeliever alike. People who are even wondering right now in this room, I don't even know if there is a God. I don't even know why I'm here, but I, I don't even know. But listen, God wants to reveal his love to you as well. And more than, than likely, uh, in your years of life, you have heard these three words that would come your way. More than likely, for the majority of us in this room today, more than likely you've heard these three words today. And the three words typically would come maybe from a mother, or a father, or a grandmother, or a grandfather, or maybe a, an aunt, or an uncle, or a friend, however they may be to you, and you've heard them say these words. They would say, God loves you. God loves you. And honestly, to me, in my personal perspective, uh, that sort of sounds like a religious kind of words. You know, it's, it's sort of religious what they're saying, and therefore would need a religious response, I'm assuming. I'm assuming now. Listen, I was raised Roman Catholic. I know what it's like to be really religious and to have religious responses. So, um, you know, just maybe, just maybe that would be a thought. So when somebody says that, I want to react this way. I want to say something like this. God loves you, and thank you very much for saying that. Because it feels religious. You know, it feels like we're, we're responding to something that would be more on the religious perspective rather than, than not. And so um, we are here today, and I'm not picking on the people, the grandparents, the mothers, the fathers who would say those kind of words to their kids. You should say that, but you also should realize that you need to say it in a way that convinces them. Don't let it just be words tumbling off your lips. Let it be something that you're living out. Let it be something that they can see and know, you know what, that God does love me because this is what my dad has done for me. This is what my mom has done for me. However those people, whatever they may be in your life. And so what I'm trying to do is to dispel the, the truth 
of the fact that God does love us. I want to dispel the, the, the lies of the enemy that would make us begin to think, you know what, but I don't know if God really does love me. I don't know if he loves me as much as the pastor is up there talking about. I just don't know that. And I believe the, the reason why we have those questions uh, about God's love is going to be answering two questions that I want to give you today. Two questions. This is a two-point message. We're going to be out of here in six minutes. You know that's not true. No, we're not going to be out of here in six minutes. Maybe 16, but not six. So I have two questions that I want to ask you. Two questions in this message today. Question number one is why would God love someone as bad as me? Why would God love someone as bad as me? Pastor, you're up there trying to tell me that God, why would God love someone like me? As bad as I am. That question comes from both the believer and the non-believer alike. Why does God love someone as bad as me? For those of us who know ourselves, we say those words, why would God love someone like me as bad as me? Because we, we really know what's going on in our lives. We know, we know what it is that we're dealing with. It's a valid question because I know me. I know all the wrong that I've done and I still do. I know the damage that I've done to others. I know the thoughts that I deal with on a daily basis. I know the, the temptations that I'm prone to do. On July 5th, 1971, in the south side of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, I gave my life to Jesus. I became born again. I was a 16-year-old young Roman Catholic kid. I was in trouble. I was going down the wrong road, the wrong path, and my oldest brother introduced me to Jesus at a Roman Catholic church, and I became born again. My life was radically changed. I was radically changed. My older brother, Mike, is here. He's, um, he's my um, care pastor here at Word of Life Church, and, and he was one of the first people to see me after I got born again, him and his wife, and, and they ended up giving their lives to Jesus, and on and on the story goes. But the point of the story is this, is that my life was powerfully and wonderfully changed. And if, the only, if there's one thing that I could define myself, my ways before coming to know Jesus, being born again, is that I was a jerk. And I mean it, as a 15, 16, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old kid, I was a jerk on so many levels. I was really, really a jerk. That's the best way to say it. And immediately, like instantly, the first thing that changed, that God changed in my life was my language, was my tongue, was my vulgarity, my cynicism, how I would beat people up with saying things about them, mocking them, whatever those things are that I am absolutely disgusted with that I used to do in my years gone by as well as many other things. Um, <clears throat> in 1974, back in 1974, and oh, by the way, another passion that I have with all of this is that the people that I know and the people that I meet and the people I bump into, that they would come to know the Jesus that changed my life because he did. He changed my life and I want everybody to know about him because he can change your life too. Amen. So back in 1974, Marianne and I had been married one year. We got married November 16th, 19. Uh, 19, what was it, 1973, and uh, in 1974, uh, I was working for my father-in-law. His name is Ted. I was working for him. I've shared this story before years ago, but uh, it's pertinent to this message today, and uh, I, I was working with my father-in-law, uh, who was a general manager of a paper mill, part owner of the paper mill, and uh, so we were walking through the mill, and all of a sudden, as we we're walking together, he showed me, my father-in-law, Ted, showed me this huge pile of debris and dirt and all this other stuff, and with a fork truck driving around, you couldn't get by it because it was just junk everywhere, and so, now mind you, God has convicted me, God has, has shown me my tongue, it's terrible, I need to get control over this thing, and I have been. My father-in-law, by the way, was very, very skeptical of the Jesus that his daughter and son-in-law 
have now been introduced to. He, he didn't know how he felt about it. In fact, he didn't like it, is what he told me. He told me, don't even talk to me about Jesus ever again. But we did, and he, we led him to the Lord, and he's in heaven today. So I'm grateful for that. But anyhow, anyhow, my fa- I saw this dirt all over the place, and all of a sudden, I blew it. I really blew it then. I, I went back to my, uh, to my BC days, before Christ days, and I just started cursing and swearing like crazy about this pile of dirt and rubble in the middle of the floor. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I'm cursing, I'm swearing, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the Lord's name in vain. I'm bleeping the person. I have no idea who it is, but I keep on cursing the person who ever left that pile. I mean, it was exaggerated to say the least, and it was absolutely ridiculous. I blew it bad. And I couldn't believe what I was saying. I couldn't believe it. You know, it's coming into my mind. What are you doing? I'm looking at my father-in-law, and he's just sort of looking at me like this. You know, that's the old Randy that I know, you know. And, and I'm just, I'm feeling terrible. And all of a sudden, I'm about 19 years old at this time. We got married at 11 years old, Marianne and I. And so, um, I'm now 19. And, uh, and uh, I, I just, I, I ran. I looked at my father-in-law and just started running away. It's a paper mill in Fulton, New York, and I, I know the mill inside and out, and I knew that there was this little closet, and I'm weeping as I'm running. I'm not weeping. I am crying. I am, I am out of control weeping, crying, and I go into that closet, and I shut the door, and I just put my hands in my face, and I just start crying, start crying out to God, you know, and, and I knew what I have done. I've blown it. I've done a really bad job of this. I, I, I blew it in front of my father-in-law. I'm blown it more importantly before God. What God has done for me, how God changed my life. I'm telling you, he changed my life. God did something big in my life at 16 years old in a Roman Catholic church. God changed my life. And, uh, and I knew, I just knew as I'm in that closet weeping and crying. I just had the thoughts in my mind. I, I knew that I let God down. I let him down terribly. I also uh, understood how could God ever love someone like me? I mean, I'm a jerk. Why would God even care about me? And I thought that I lost it all with God that day. I thought I lost it all. And that's just one story of many in my life. I'm curious, how many have ever felt that you're unworthy of God's love for whatever reason? Come on, be honest. I'm assuming all of us. I don't know. Maybe there's some who think they're better than God in this room. I don't know. But for the most part, we, we all feel that now and then. In Job chapter, chapter 42, verses 5 and 6, it says these words. Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Verse 6, therefore I despise myself and repent in the dust of, of the ashes. Job has this aha experience with God, and he experiences God's presence. He, he uh, despises himself over the rash words, harsh words that he would uh, speak about God, doubting God during the difficulty that he had in his life. And if you have, don't know anything about Job, if you go to the book of Job in the Old Testament, you're going to see how terrible of a life that he had, the challenges that, that he faced with. And so now he's regretting it. Now that he sees God, knows God in that personal way, he's regretting all of that. Go with me to, uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. And it says these words. Let me pull it up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <laughs> yes, of course you're not there. Okay, there it is. <clears throat> For I am the least of the apostles, Paul says, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. 
Here is this thing where we, we are feeling like there's just no way that God could love anybody like me. And the Apostle Paul is someone who would, who would order the death of Christians. He wanted to cause them to be extinct. And so therefore he is saying in this prayer, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church is what the Apostle Paul said. Reflecting on his past until uh, how unfit he feels to be called an apostle. How could God, why would God ever love someone like me? And if you have that in your mind, that's a tough question to deal with. Because we know ourselves. We know what we think. Maybe not always what other people say or what I say about me. But we know, we know within our own minds and hearts what we're thinking. But none of that compares to what Peter went through himself. So Peter... Peter uh, has been following Jesus now from just about day one. About three and a half years he's been serving Jesus. And Peter has seen it all. Peter has heard it all. And uh, Peter is, is one of the three uh, closest disciples of Jesus. When you look in the word of God, you'll often see in the gospels that there was Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. And it would be Peter, James, and John who would get all the inside uh, goodies that would be dealing with the son of God. In other words, they seen many miracles. They would see the blind to see the lame to walk, the dead to be raised to life. They would see Jesus walking on water, the Mount of Transfiguration, where not only the, the face of Jesus, not only the hair of Jesus, but also his clothing became brilliant white is what the scriptures tell us. And then also that they heard, the, these three, uh, Peter, James, and John, they heard an audible voice that, that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So in Luke chapter 22, Jesus tells Peter these words. He says, before the, the, his crucifixion, Peter, you're going to deny me. In fact, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's response, many of us know this, Peter's response is, but Jesus, I'm ready to go to prison for you, and I'm even ready and willing to die for you. That's how much I love you. And Jesus responded to Peter. In Luke chapter 22, he responded to Peter, and he says this. He says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you would deny me three times that you knew me. You will deny me three times. Let me read this to you in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and it says these words, beginning in verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him, they led him um, away and took him out. Excuse me, let me begin now. My bald head had to be wiped off because this water's going in my eyes. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him to, into the house of the high priest. Peter found, followed at a distance. And when some had, uh, and brother, and when some there had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. Verse 57, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour after that, another hour later, uh, another person asserted, certainly this, this uh, follower was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I, do, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Listen, 
There will be, there will be, and there are going to be moments in our lives that we are going to fail God miserably. Every one of us in this room. Every one of us, and multiple times probably. At least that's been my experience after 48 years. Most probably multiple times when we fail God miserably. And that, uh, that immediately uh, causes us to begin to think just how completely unworthy we are to follow God. And in those moments of spiritual vulnerability, I'm here to tell you, my friend, when you are facing situations and circumstances like this, in those moments of spiritual vulnerability, it, it either will make us or it's going to break us. It will either make us or it's going to break us. So for some, for some of us in this room, maybe this has happened most recent. When it breaks us, there are some who are here today who just want to lock themselves up in some cage filled with nothing but guilt and shame and convinced that you'll never get out of that cage. There are some of us who feel we've, mailed, we've, uh, we've uh, dis, uh, qualified ourselves so greatly that we just, there's no hope for us whatsoever. Then there are those who are in the midst of their failure and experiences. And they have new dimensions now of God's grace and love for each and every one of them that's transforming their lives, transforming their hearts. Yeah, in the midst of a difficult time, in the midst of our failure, there is a way that God can somehow or another resurrect his power and grace on us through his love. And this is one of those moments for Peter. It broke him, it broke him. And let me use a Super Bowl kind of an analysis, uh, what's, what's it called, analogy, here with, with this kind of thing. Let's just pretend this is a Super Bowl event for the Apostle Peter, because it was. This was a Super Bowl time for him, as Peter needed to, all Peter needed to do was to go and, and uh, <clears throat> go into the end zone, <clears throat> just down just down a couple, three yards and into the end zone and the game would be over and he would be the winner. They're, they would be a winner. This was Peter's time to shine and to prove himself that he is walking in the light of God. But Peter got intercepted. He had the ball was coming his way, but Peter got intercepted in the midst of all of that by a little girl and two other men who said to them, all they did was ask him the question, weren't you with Jesus? And that little girl and those two men knocked the ball out of his hands and Peter lost that Super Bowl title because he denied Christ. He simply denied Christ. This was the opportunity of a lifetime, but Peter completely failed Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. And yet for all to see, Jesus' response is amazing. How Jesus responds to Peter in the midst of his failure is absolutely amazing. Listen to this. Go with me to Luke chapter 22 again, verse 60. And Peter replied and he said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Three times. It is accurate scripturally today to say the split second that Peter denied Jesus the third time when the rooster crowed that, that uh, it says in verse 61 that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. When that happened, the Lord looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered, this is what the Lord had said to me. And when Jesus looked at Peter, it wasn't looking at him like some of us would think, with disgust, with, uh, with uh, uh, condemnation. Why, Peter, would you do this to me? No, Jesus knew that Peter was going to do this. He prophesied before it even happened that you're going to deny me. 
He knew that this was going to take place. Jesus wasn't about to give up on Peter as a result of this. Now, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. I don't know what may be going on, but I'm guessing that if you're uh, like the rest of us here at Word of Life, maybe at some point you, you have also turned your back on Jesus. Maybe at some point you know that you have disappointed God, like I know I have, not only back then in the 1974, but man, I've done it many times since. I don't know where you may be, but, I, but one thing I wanna say to you is, I don't care. Let, let me be very clear to you as your pastor. I don't care um, if you reject God. I don't care that you curse God or that you deny God or that you would run away from God like Peter did. Because the God that you and I serve you can, he makes clear to us, you can never do anything that will stop him from loving you. You will never say anything that he would stop loving you as a result of what you've said. And I can say that with authority because this is what's happened to me. This is what's taken place in my life over 48 years of serving God. Sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's really bad. But the fact of the matter is, God is on your side. God is looking to help you through those circumstances and situations that you're dealing with. Would you give the Lord a round of applause? He's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. 1 Peter 4, 8 says that love covers a multitude of sins. And it, and it, and it happens every single time. Love covers a multitude of sin. Listen, God's love is nothing like the love that you and I deal with from day to day in this world. Jesus was constantly teaching uh, the difference between this world's love and the kingdom of God and that love. Jesus was constantly calling us to live in the kingdom dimension of life and of love. Not just to experience it for ourselves, but to give it away. He wants us to not only experience it and to live in this love, but he wants to make sure that you, the church, me, the church, that we would be people that would be giving that love to other, others freely. In Luke chapter six, let me read to you, beginning in verse 27. This is the kind of love that God is expecting of you and expecting of me. And he says these words, Luke chapter six, 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. At this time, I'm assuming that the people who are in the crowd hearing this, they're beginning, their minds are just going, what in the world is he talking about? What is he saying to us? Verse 29, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. Do you believe this? Church, do you believe this? This is what Jesus says. This is the kind of love we're to have. This is going to help others. Give to everyone who asks you and, to, and, uh, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Verse 34. And if you lend, uh, if you lend, to, those, um, if you lend to those from whom uh, you are expecting repayment, what credit is that to you? You see, Jesus is teaching us in this particular portion of scripture, the world's love and God's love, the world's love and God's love. He wants you to understand the love we're talking about is nothing like the love this world deals with. It's something way different. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful what the scriptures declare to us. 
Jesus makes it clear to us how different his love is from the world. So when you and I are experiencing this amazing love of God, I'm here to tell you, man, I'm really here to tell you, especially for those who have not experienced it, it is beyond a love that this world could ever possibly give us. One of the fears that I have as pastor, been here 27 years, one of the fears I have for my church as your pastor is that there may be some who call themselves Christian who have never loved someone the way that the scriptures are declaring right here today that I'm reading before you that, that would bring them any credit. You would not receive any credit if all you're doing is loving people the way the world loves people. God is not the least bit impressed with that. I'm sure he's grateful that there is love in our world, but if you're looking for the love of God, it's not going to be the same. That would bring any credit toward them as toward God. In other words, if your thought is, is I'm gonna love you because you're nice to me. I'm gonna love you because you're, 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 you give to me. Those kind of things, there's no credit in that whatsoever. And as a follower of Jesus, we are called to be like our heavenly Father, loving, who is loving, merciful, and kind. In John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you so that you may love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And look at what Jesus did. Look at what Jesus did with us. Peter denied Jesus three times. The rooster crowed instantly. And Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. And he looked at him with a personal eye contact. He saw him. He didn't mention his name. He didn't say the name Peter because if he would have said the name Peter, the people who are looking to kill Jesus probably would have killed him, probably at least arrested him. He didn't say the name uh, to Peter, his name at all. But the fact of the matter is that personal eye contact is something that's really special. When you and I have eye contact, it establishes a relationship connection. When we have eye contact, when we're looking at each other, when we're talking, it, 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 what it does is that it gives us a relational connection with one another. When you have little Johnny who's not been a good boy, my suggestion as your pastor would be is to sit down with little Johnny, look at him in the eye, and say, look at me, son. Did you pull your sister's hair? Tell me the truth. Did you pull your sister's? When you have that kind of a connection with your son or your daughter, however it may be, um, that's when truth, there's going to be a confession. Yes, I did do that. And let me also just go one step further since we're dealing with family real quick here. And that is this. How about you, sir, ma'am? Married? How about if you had that kind of, of a connection with your, with your husband or with your wife? Gentlemen, let me talk to you because I'm a man. I know how I feel and I know what I look for and I know what I'm doing. So uh, how about us as a man? How about if today, by the end of the day, that you will look your wife in the eye I mean, you will be sincere about this. We're not playing games. I'm very serious with what I'm saying. That you will look her in the eyes and you would say to her, I love you. I love you. That right there, oh, oh, and that you're not expecting any sexual response whatsoever. That's the ticket. That's the key of something being genuine here. I love you. I really love you. That kind of a connection is so deep. It is so powerful. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus did that with Peter. He did that same thing. Jesus looked straight at Peter with this kind of an emphasis to Peter. The message to Peter is that, who failed him miserably, by the way, 
Peter, look at me, is what Jesus would be saying. Look at me, I've not given up on you. In fact, I forgave you even before you got intercepted by that little girl early on. We are still in this together. You're going to make it, Peter. I've called you by name and you are mine. And we find in in Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter seven, Mark chapter sixteen, verse seven, it talks about when Jesus had risen from the dead. An angel appeared to one of the ladies that were at the tomb of Jesus, and she said, "These." The angel said to tell Peter this: "Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will find him. You will meet him as he has told you." Peter, we are still in this together, is what Jesus said. We're still in this together. Now, my friend, I'm not sure what mistakes you've made in the past. I'm not sure what sinful memories you have that you can't shake from yourself. I don't know what failures in your life that you've ever uh, caused caused you to lock yourself into a cage and throw away the key. But this much I know, my friend. God has not given up on you. God has not given up on you. And God still covers, uh, God's love still covers a multitude of sins. And he won't give up on you. He won't give up. He won't give up because love is not only what he does, but love is who he is. In 1 John chapter, in 1 John chapter uh, 4, beginning at verse 8, 1 John 4, beginning with verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only begotten son into this world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When you understand love is not just uh, some action step that we're supposed to take. It's not just an action step that God himself forces himself to take. No, we find within the scriptures that when you understand, when you understand this, that it is his to, do the, to love us as he does, it's his essence. It's his, in his core. It's in his being. It's in his heart. It's in his nature. And that changes everything. That changes everything for every one of us. The second question, and I will be very quick with the last question. The second question is, is why would God love someone as insignificant as me? As insignificant as me. Well, pastor, you're the pastor of the church, so God's got to love you. Hmm, I don't often feel that. <laughs> Sometimes we feel that we're just not significant. We're not, we're, not, we're not the people who we would imagine that God would be. I talked about this a few weeks back, but there's seven billion, over seven billion people on the planet. <clears throat> Do you know what's going on in our world? I mean, it's crazy, man. It's really crazy. There's wars and, and natural disasters. There's horrific killings that are taking place seemingly weekly. There's poverty and sickness and disease. And who am I that God would pay any attention to me? I'm not very important. I'm not very significant. And I mean it. I I mean this with my own heart. I don't understand why God would have any significance, find any significance in me. Why would God care about me? Why would God not be more busy with presidents and, and, uh, and kings and, and uh, heads of state, whoever they may be, with all that's going on? Who am I in this world of chaos that not only would God know me, but that he would love me? I mean, that's really hard to understand. There were two who, who had that same thought. In, in the book of Exodus chapter three, I'm not gonna read you any verse in this, but Moses said th- these exact same words to God. He said, who am I? When God said, I want you to take the, the people of Israel out of Egypt, and his, his words, who am I? Who am I? David had the same problem. 
David wanted to give an offering to God, and it was a big offering. I mean, it was an amazing offering, and he wanted to give it to God, and, and he says to God, he, he asked the question to God. David said uh, to God, um, as he's ready to give his offering, he says, who am I that I could give you anything? You are beyond it all, God. Who am I with this money? Who am I with this body, with this life that I have, the giftings and the talents that you've given me? Who am I that I could ever do anything for you? Because you are so great and you are so glorious. When you start feeling insignificant, God, God's love begins to make you significant. You need to understand that when you feel you're insignificant, it, it is a lie from darkness and you need to realize that God wants you to be significant. And it is his love that makes you and I to become everything that God has created us to be. So I close. I close off. I want to challenge you today. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're at in your love with God. This is the conclusion of a four-week series on this thing called love. In the book of Luke chapter 15, there were three things that would seem to be very insignificant. But Jesus did something about it. Jesus cared about it. There was a woman who had 10 coins. She lost one of the 10. Annie spoke about this stuff a few weeks back. There were 10 coins and she lost one of the 10. She tore the house upside down. It was something insignificant, but she found what she was looking for. The second story, of course, is the prodigal son. The, the prodigal son, the father, son took off. He took his father's wealth, wasted it, wasted it terrible on sinful living, the Bible says. <clears throat> And the father every day would stand on his porch and just be looking across to see, is this boy coming home? Is my boy coming home today? And finally he did. And when he did, he ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. That, second, that, that son's experience of running away from God is another thing that would talk about the significance of people. But my favorite story is the one that Annie capitalized on a couple weeks back. And that is the story of the lost sheep. A hundred sheep the shepherd had, and one of them wandered away. And because of the relationship, yeah, the relationship that the shepherd had, he decided that he was going to leave the 99 behind and that he was going to go after that one sheep. He left the 99 because of his love and, and would cause that, that uh, sheep to be able to be back with the fold. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? I don't know who you are, but I really sense today that this is the bingo for some people in this room. You just don't feel significant. You don't feel like you're truly loved by others, maybe by your pastor, maybe by family and friends. Maybe you're someone who is here today who just feels like I am so insignificant. Why would God love someone as insignificant as I? And I'm here to tell you, my friend, not only with the stories that we read in the scriptures, but by the stories of many people that attend Word of Life. This isn't, this isn't half of our church. We're still away on summer vacation, so we have half the crowd. But it would, be, it would be those of us who would sit back and say, listen, this is what God did for me. God gave Randy Chiz the opportunity to lead his father-in-law to Jesus a short while before he died. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience many years ago. And if God would give me, who's a rather insignif insignificant kind of a person, he's gonna do it for you too, my friend. So I wanna challenge you today. You are here at Word of Life today for a reason. We're talking about this and you're with this for a reason.
So let the Holy Spirit have his way with you. Let the Holy Spirit continue to speak to you. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're someone who has walked away from God and you feel embarrassed, you feel ashamed. I'm here to tell you, my friend, I'm here to tell you that God receives you. He welcomes you. You are significant to him. He wants you to be with him. He sent his son to die for your sin and for my sin. He loves you. Or maybe you're someone who's here today and you're going through a nasty divorce. Life is really terrible for you right now. You feel so unloved. You feel like God abandoned you. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, God has never, he never will abandon you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And if anything is happening, and I'm telling you this by my own experience, it's not God walking away from me. It's me walking away from God. And I just challenge you. Don't go for that. Don't fall for that line. Or maybe you are, you are here today and maybe you have addictions. Maybe there's a man or two or 20 in this room who are caught up into pornography and you're at the porn sites a lot. Christian and non-Christian alike, a lot of people are visiting the porn sites. And maybe because of that and the shame that comes on you and I, as we do those kinds of things, you would feel that you're not very significant before God because I can't even control my own eyes, my own lust. Well, I'm here to tell you, my friend, I remind you, his love covers a multitude of sins. And my last point is this. For the one who has doubted God's existence, God's existence, you never really even thought that there could be such a thing until you're here in this room right now. I sense that the people who are really dealing with this insignificance, you know what, Pastor, I am feeling something on the inside of me right now. So if that's you, I want you to pray a prayer with me. I'm gonna say a very quick prayer, and I want you to say it however you wanna say it. You can say it out loud, you can say it with your lips, you can say it in your mind. But I want you not to come to Word of Life Church, not to be a member at Word of Life Church, but I want you to give your life to Jesus. So maybe you would pray this prayer with me. Would you do that? Say this with me, dear Lord Jesus. I admit to you that I've sinned. I've really blown it. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to become the Lord and leader of my life and help me to live for you from this day forward. God, I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. In Jesus' name.